Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. He, he's, I think he's as good as Quentin Tarantino at following a line of questioning when you write dialogue. So when you watch a Tarantino movie, Tarantino will ask a question and answer the question. And then he might answer that question with another question and then he might continue down that path for a long time until he gets to an answer that he's satisfied with that when watching a conversation, you go as the audience. Yeah, I know how they got there because it made sense it tracked the whole way. It took a while, but because it was real and because the conversation was based in things that I would actually ask questions about and questions too, it doesn't just, jump to a point because the writer needs it to get there. Hello, and welcome to Black Mirror Cracked, the podcast for all your Black Mirror needs. My name's Sachandrika, and I'll be your host. And today we've got one of the stars of season three Skyping in, which is super exciting. So we have Wyatt Russell, who played Cooper Redfield in Playtest. Almost three years ago now, I was doing a movie in Atlanta. And my girlfriend, now girlfriend and I, were like, what's this? Turn it on. And we saw our fir- the first one we saw was, I think, uh, I think it was Be Right Back is what it's called with Dominal Gleason, And it was so good. And I was like, what the hell is this show? Watched all of them. And I was like, wow, that was great. Whatever. English show, like, obviously totally off my radar as far as an actor. And then about a year or two later, whenever Netflix picked up the show, which I had no idea they even did, I got a call from my agent going, yeah, so they're like interested for you this for this thing like Black Mirror? Like he didn't even know what it was. And I was like, what? Like, yeah, like what do I have to do? Who do I have to talk to? So they put me on the phone with Dan Trachtenberg, the director. We talked for a few hours, a couple hours, and totally hit it off and, and – uh, we're like kindred spirits in a way when it comes to movies and it was like a you know yeah let's do this and make it awesome so it was kind of a cool way around the way it happened when when you got the script did you have the ending in it was it the whole script seeing as you're the lead the ending was in it there was little pieces that they hadn't quite ironed out completely but the ending was sort of the ending it, it, it was massaged when we were doing it, just in terms of getting it to the point where it was tracking in a way where people were going to ask the right questions. Uh, but it was pretty much it was pretty much in full form when I got the script. In terms of of that character Cooper, was he quite fully formed in Charlie Brooker's head and the maker's head, or did you did you have a sense of the character going in? Yeah. Um, when I read it, he reads like sort of an ass. <laughs> and one of the things I thought was important, which is why I, I thought I could do a good job um, of 
making him instead of an ah instead of an instead of the one of the like weird I don't know I lived in Europe for for three years and and sort of I remember the feedback that I got from a lot of the people that live I lived in Germany and Holland and traveled a lot and and I remember the people saying Americans they're annoying they can, they they can be annoying they're the people who go around and they're like Wow, like how big's that building? Like, what's that look like? Wow, how long has that been there? They're just sort of like enamored by the history of things, and it's like annoying, but they're not like the stereotypes. They're not like assholes, and and so some I thought that it would be more interesting and more likable if it was the American kind of fun annoying thing of an, of the american who's just enamored by everything and and i and i think that i was able to change um their minds a bit because i think that it was originally you were not supposed to really like him and i thought it was important to sort of enjoy your time with him because you're with him for so long the minute you turn the minute you don't like that guy or the minute you don't enjoy being with him in some way you're kind of like over it you kind of want to see him get his crumpets and and i didn't uh i didn't think that was that wasn't it wasn't it i just thought the more interesting take personally was to like this guy and be on the road with him and when everything goes south uh it's more I, i thought it was more impactful so i think i did was able to you know, sort of bring a little bit of that to the table. I mean, I brought so little compared to what Charlie and Dan did, but I was able to improv a ton, a lot of it, uh, because it was only me. And and everybody realized like, well, we got to fill this with energy. And that doesn't always mean improving lines, but, but just improving action was also something that we went through. So there was a lot of that. What is it like? acting horrified to yourself and talking to yourself on set. The sound guys came up with the idea that they could put an earwig in my ear and wound me who plays Katie. She could actually talk to me through the earpiece. So when I'm talking to her, I can, I was really hearing her. So she would sit by, by the sound and speak into the microphone that would transmit into my ear. And uh, so th- that was like unbelievably helpful in so many ways. So I wasn't just talking to myself in certain po- at certain points. Some- sometimes I, I had to. Um, acting with nothing there was a challenge, but a good learning experience because it's more and more with things that are that involve action or genre. You're going to have to actors are going to have to learn how to act with a, a tennis ball. And, and it was, it was really fun to be able to do because, uh, they hadn't fully formed all of the actions of what the, the, uh, CGI elements were going to be. So we got to talk about what they were going to be on set and how I could react to them. So it was a more specific action rather than something general where sometimes you see people and they're just running away from something, but it doesn't seem like they're running away from something specific. So it was it was really fun to be able to do that and add that to uh, 
whatever the process of doing the of doing the show because I think it added sort of a specific element that was nice to have. But yeah, you're pretty much acting with with nothing. You just got to kind of commit and know that whatever's going to be put in there is going to look crazy and scary and, and weird. But yeah, it was it was fun to be able to do it. It's such a huge emotional journey and actually takes a hero that seems really happy to a really dark place. I think that's, you don't see that very often on TV. Yeah, it's, well, you don't see, Charlie's able to tap into this nature in people where there's something satisfying about seeing the dystopian future of, uh, what you would look at as the exponential growth of if this thing happens. So if it's all, it's so great because it truly is. He, he writes, I don't even know if this is like a, the term that would make sense, but he, he writes in an exponential fashion. So if one, when he takes one kernel of truth that really happens, that's a real thing. Everything starts out, they're real, like a dating app or VR or the new dog, the dog one, where the where the autonomous killing machine is killing everybody. Those are real things that exist. And then he just takes it and goes um, exponentially, like, okay, well, if this happened, then what if this happened? Then this would happen. Then this would happen. This would. Happen. And it doesn't take away from. It, it only adds to the reality of the situation. So at the end, you're left feeling like, oh my god, that could really happen, and it really could. It like really, really actually could happen if things took a turn here or there. And, and, and there's something satisfying about, I think, knowing that you're in the hands of a writer and filmmakers that he pairs himself with or that is paired with that, um, are able to bring you, bring you on the ride and you know, you're in safe hands to where when you leave, you're like, that was, that was stupid. That'll never happen. But when you when you leave going, oh, my God, that could happen. There's a satisfying thing in that, like being able to sort of like look into the future and trying to avoid the perils of what technology can do. It's like a, they're all tale. They're all tale warning tales. And there's something satisfying because, you know, it's so sci fi that it's not going to happen tomorrow. But it's really that the people usually get what's coming to them in a way. And. Like even in my episode, the guy's a nice guy and he's got, you know, he's a, he's a reasonable person, but he didn't want to face reality. That was the whole thing. He didn't want to, all he had to do is just theoretically pick up the phone, talk to his mom, deal with his problem. But he didn't want to do it. He was a guy who just would run away from his problems. It doesn't mean he's a bad person, but he just run away, run away, run away. Don't deal with your issue. Don't deal with your issue. Don't deal with your issue. It'll kill you. And and I think that's what's so great and so like, like sort of leaves you feeling good in a weird way. Everyone I've watched, for the most part, I can't think of one where I didn't leave going like, oh my God, that was great. That's also my sensibility. Playtest, the AI is kind of burrowing into Cooper's head and, and taking the memories and torturing him with them, it feels like, towards the end. Yeah. I mean, I think that, again, it's the idea that um, this chip is going to allow somebody to experience virtual reality or augmented reality in a way 
that again will take them out of their daily miseries and will take them out of their life. And he's perfect for that. That's all he wants to do. It's just get out of like get out of my head. That's why he left. That's why he doesn't want to talk to his mom. He just literally all he wants to do is like live in some like you know augmented reality where he doesn't have to deal with his problems. And it comes back to bite him in the ass because again, if you don't have to deal with your problems or if you don't have to think about things that are hard or that might potentially be difficult to deal with, then you don't have to deal with any of those like thoughts of the end. You don't have to deal with thoughts of death. You don't have to deal with thoughts of anything, anything that, that deals with mortality is put off. I don't have to worry about it because I'm like focused on this. It's just like a time suck. It just takes your mind off it, which is like totally necessary. You can't sit around thinking all day living your life for like, you know, the end, but when you get too sucked into it, um, it's like, you know, it's like anything. There's a, there's a balance and you know, the balance wouldn't be interesting to show on TV because <laughs> you'd just be watching a very well adjusted person go about their life. But, um, that's what I think that's what all of them do so well is they take these seemingly well adjusted people and that are just like what you think you are like. You know, you see yourself and like everybody that's there. You're like that. That's sort of you know, they're all like relatively normal people. They're they, they don't. He doesn't take these like wacky people and make them like insane and weird and they do weird shit. He takes very very normal people who live everyday lives and puts them in these situations that turn sideways because they don't really want to look at what's coming and see how to you know avoid that inevitability and and uh i think it's a really hard thing to do but he does he's the best he he's i think he's as good as quentin tarantino at following a line of questioning when you write dialogue so when you watch a tarantino movie tarantino will ask a question and answer the question and then he might answer that question with another question and then he might continue down that path for a long time until he gets to an answer that he's satisfied with that when watching a conversation you go as the audience, yeah, I know how they got there because it made sense, it tracked the whole way. It took a while, but because it was real and because the conversation was based in things that I would actually ask questions about and questions to, it doesn't just jump to a point because the writer needs it to get there or the scene needs to end because the scene is too long or, you know, some, you know, another movie making, uh, tactic that they need to, you know, cut things or whatever. He always asks the question and answers the question until it is a satis until it's until, until the question is satisfied. It doesn't mean that you've answered the question. It just means that you've satisfied the conversation. And I, you know, there's only like been handfuls of filmmakers in history that have been able to do that really well, uh, writers, and he's for sure one of them. I mean, it's it's no doubt. That's why they're so good. How did that work on set with getting that balance of he's actually quite emotional, but also there's all this virtual reality stuff going on and, and it's a horror movie as well? Char, uh, well, Charlie was on set almost every day. Um, I, I think uh, this was one of the, this was one of the last this was the last one of 
season three that they were doing. So he was able to be on set every day, which is really helpful. There was a couple times where I didn't understand something or I didn't quite get exactly what they were going for. So we had, you know, we'd stop for like half an hour and he'd kind of break it down for me. And I'd go, okay, okay. I see, I see what, I see what you want. And I'd bring up questions that I thought maybe, you know, little things that I could amend to get more of what they were looking for. There was a lot of that very helpful for him to be on set. Dan, he really like the the leeway for the director to craft the show is a lot like the director really did. And you see it in the episodes that they're allowed to, they don't just hire people to do what, you know, someone at Netflix or Charlie wants them to do. They hire them because of their talents and their resume before. And they, and they say, you know, if Joe Wright is directing something. You're going to let Joe Wright do what he wants to do. Um, dialogue wise, Charlie would come in every once in a while and say, well, what about this isn't, maybe this isn't landing, maybe say this and stuff like that. So there was like that, but it wasn't like major shifts. Do you think Cooper actually dies or do you think it's yet another trick of the game? When I read it, I always felt, and I still do. I don't know if they, I don't know if Charlie feels, feels this way or if he wrote it with this in mind or if Dan did or, I don't know how they feel. I'd have to ask. But I always kind of thought that he's dead in this world. In our in our world, he's his physical body is dead, but he's stuck in this never-ending hell. And that was what was the scariest to me was like my cog my cognitive ability his cognitive ability is still is still moving forward in this world that he can't get himself out of he's now he's just in a world of horror it's basically hell and and I can't get myself out it's you're 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 out you're resigned to, you just don't see it in his alternate reality you just don't you just don't see that part continue. All you see is a cut to his dead body here on the on planet Earth. But in whatever is going on in my in my in my cognition, that is I'm trapped. And that was that that was what freaked me out about it. What was your <laughs> Does that sound like him? No, they're all dead. Stop it. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that I think what's fun about Charlie is that he comes from like I remember him talking about it and he was like talking about like playing this video game that would scare him. And and there's like a childlike sensibility that he takes he's able to like, you know, what all smart people do. He can keep things simple but but also very complex at the same time. So he can feel like really childlike sensibilities for things, but also understand the adult consequences of what of what you're doing. And uh, you know, why would he want to? Why would Charlie ever want to? You know, really tell what he actually was feeling during those 
writing moments that he's having alone, um, inspirational moments having when, you know, you have these creative thoughts. Truth is, you don't really know. You don't ever really know what you think. That's why I like his writing. Is I don't think he goes in knowing what the people think and it's like preaching this thing. It just takes an, a kernel of something and he lets it play out. So I don't think Charlie, I'm speaking for him, but I, I don't think he know. I don't think he is like the set knowing thing about everything where he goes in going, this is what it is and this is what it is and this is what it is. It's all open for interpretation. It's just you watching somebody go down the rabbit hole. And, you know, on that one, a metalhead, I mean, she's definitely dead. <laughs> that one, I'm like, for sure, she's 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 dead. I'm like, I hope she's dead because it's fucking, you can't deal, I don't want to, that, that, that one's like, get it over with. Please, I don't want to see you struggle or like, you know, hurt anymore. But yeah, I don't know. I think I think I think he prefers to live in the world of, um, you know, no one really knows. What was um, what was your favorite scene to uh, to act out in playtest? Do you have a particular favorite? My favorite scene, what the gopher scene was fun. The first day, because that was it was a long, it was like three days of like hitting gophers, it got kind of like tiring towards the end. But that one in the beginning was fun. Uh, the oh, you know what was my favorite scene was when when I see Peters, and and I'm like doing karate. They probably have like forty five minutes of outtakes because that was all like just me doing karate to air. Like no one was there, so it was fun just to be able to like you know none of that was in scripted it was like you know just i get scared by him but i thought it'd be funny to like you know do fake karate like i had some pent-up aggression in, in the past against this guy and now i could take it all out on him because he wasn't like really there that one was fun if you could be in any of the other black mirror episodes what which one would you be in the one i like most is be right back yeah because that one that one's really taps like at least something to me. That one hits like the love note really hard because, and also Donald Gleason's like one of my favorite actor, like pure actors, you know, like people, I guess my age. Um, it just, it really like, it really hits. I think the, the, uh, you know, San Junipero was great. I loved it. Um, I thought it was awesome. But in terms of the a lasting like a relationship that was built, that existed, that you come into. You know, you come into that relationship existing. And there wasn't, you know, it was it, there was no need to explain why they were in love. They they had been, they were, they were on the verge of starting their life together and they were doing what so many people my age do now, which is like, there's, you have life in, in front of you. And it was the real world. It was real. It wasn't, San Junipero was like, it becomes like, 
you know, again, they're living in an alternate reality. So there's some sort of dissemination between real and not real. That one was all real world. And, and it was so practical and Domino Gleason was so good. And the actress who I don't know her name was so good. And when she brings him back, it's what you're like, that's exactly what everybody in the entire world would want to do. There's not one person on planet earth that if they were in that situation and given that ability would not try it. And, and it just goes to like, it speaks so purely to me to the human soul where there's just no substitute. There's no substitute. There's the, the that thing that VR people, uh, uh, video game people call the uncanny valley um, of like not being able to disseminate between real and not real. Even if you get it to the closest, 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 even if you get it to that where you can bring somebody back and they're real, they're flesh, you can see them. They're not a virtual tool. They're not a hologram. They're real. That is the best way ever of describing the uncanny valley. You can't cross it. It doesn't work. Life is special. And and loving that way is special. And there's no substitute for the human soul you can't find. You won't find it. You can bring it back the same person, and it's just not going to be the same. And it was happy to me in the end when she's like up in the attic. It was happy because like he was there and he was doing his thing, but it wasn't him. It was just someone for his daughter to see on her birthday. And he'd go up and there's like this thing in the attic, but she had his wife had clearly like moved on because she realized that he's not him, but it's nice to have this thing around and she was sort of utilizing it in a way that I was like, yeah, I guess that's the way to do it. But it's not, there's no love. It's not, no longer, you know, there's no longer a soul there. And, and it was so practical that that one hit me the hardest in terms of, you know, what, you know, just the, the defining the human soul versus what AI or computers would be able to do in the future. He, he'll never even be him. He's just a relic of, of what, you know, of, of the image of that person and the things that they, it's just a relic. It's like a, you know, it's like a museum. He's like a museum piece that you can go say hi to and he, they talk back. But yeah, that one just in terms of defining the human soul, I don't think there's one to me that's come close. It was also at a, it was such an interesting time probably for, for Charlie where it was this, you know, little like show on like a weird, you know, one of the, on the alternative network in the UK. And it was, it, it had, a, it had an, an independent spirit to it where it, you know, it didn't, it didn't have, uh, it wasn't like, it wasn't like, a, it wasn't like a crazy high insane like leap into some sci-fi world where some things have now been 
put into this real sci-fi world. Like I noticed in this next, in this number four, they've, they've used the chip a lot um, in terms of like implanting something into somebody's brain. You can see their thoughts, you can see their future, obviously, because that works, that, 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 that's something that we all look at and that's on a lot of our minds. Um, You know, these, this, this AI ability that we can implant into ourselves um, but that one was like, I don't know, that one was also probably the most existential of, of all of them. And that, that sort of always ends up being my favorite subject because it just, there's so many questions that are really unanswerable and, and it leaves you with the, I, just the idea that even though you can touch it, feel it, smell it, be there with it. There's something that I can't explain. I can't explain it, but it's not there. And it's the soul. I can't touch it. I can't feel it. I can't, but I can tell you it's wrong. And that's like, that's the, that be right back and captures that in a way that's like nothing else I've seen really does. He's so good in that. He he plays the robot or whatever. What is it? The, uh, whatever that they they're I don't called. Know what it is, but he plays whatever, it, yes. whatever he's called. He, he just plays this thing so perfect, where it's just he's gone. He's not. He's gone. It's not him. He's not doing him at all. He's just doing. It's just a. There's a blankness there. It's a blank slate. It's just not. He just got. It's just like one of my favorite performances uh, in the past, you know, three or four years, whatever, since it came on on TV. Because it's so subtle. It's so subtle. To do that, you have to be so confident in the fact that you're just doing the right thing and that it's working. And they, and and he obviously knew that it was, but yeah, no, he was as good as it gets in that. I feel pretty, I feel pretty lucky to do it because every everybody I see in every episode, the, in, this, in this fourth season and all the third season and the fir- first and second season, like it's one of the shows where I really love the acting. I really, really do. I love the actors. I th- like I, I just think they're like they they find fantastic people, and you know you don't always know who they are offhand. Um, but every time you watch, you're like, man, that guy was good, or man, that girl was awesome. And I feel pretty lucky to just be in the in that crew of people. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's 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 pretty cool. It's one of the only, I, I guess, acting moments of my life that I that I do say like I, I really, I, I I feel I feel like that I feel like, you know, I'm I'm I, I, I'm pretty lucky. I'm pretty lucky there, just in terms of being able to be in that crowd. It's pretty pretty blessed. The first time ever, it was just me and the director and the writer, creator, figuring it out what was best, you know. And it was just like, let's just make it work. It'll be fun. It's, and and 
it was exciting and uh, again like super lucky to be able to do it super lucky to be able to get a part like that I think I just happened to be the right person at the right time I think it's a big part of acting big part of anything in movies to be able to pull off what they wanted to pull off um, sometimes you just have to be in the right place at the right time I think I for that specific thing I just kind of was um, whereas for other things you know you're not but for that one I, I, I was lucky so that was Wyatt Russell talking to us about his uh, lead role in Playtest and about being a Black Mirror fan and and also getting into Be Right Back, which is a great episode and a really interesting one to talk about. So thank you for listening. And uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, click all the stars, tell all your friends, put a message in a bottle and put it out to sea and hopefully someone will be listening to it in about 20 years. Um, pop a message on a pigeon, whatever whatever works for you. But uh, do share the fact that you enjoyed this with other people so they'll find us. And until the next time, goodbye. Goodbye.